0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. In the beginning, God made everything and it was good. Our fellowship with Him was very good, but our rebellion shattered every relationship. Our sin brought the curse of death. We can see that things are not the way they are supposed to be. Our world is broken. We long for our redemption. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into our world. He lived and died and rose again before returning to his Father's right hand. Soon, Jesus will return and every eye will see him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb slain for sinners who overcame, and he will make all things new. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.
1: I invite you to go in your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to the final section of Revelation chapter 3, and we'll be looking at the letter to the church at Laodicea in verses 14 through 22 this morning. Have you ever been deceived by someone? Has someone ever lied to you? How does that feel? How does that make you feel? Doesn't that hurt? But let's take the pressure up a little bit. Have you ever been deceived by your own self? You have deceived yourself. Maybe you walked into the doctor's office. I'm fine, doc. And they said, actually, the tests. Oh, have a seat, let's talk. Being self-deceived is a whole different level because that's not someone else deceiving us. That is my idea, my opinion, But what if it's not true? What if it will not hold you up in the day of judgment? Self-sufficiency, I'm a self-made man. I pulled myself up by the bootstraps. I got it done. I get it done. Self-sufficiency is incompatible with Christianity. Self-sufficiency is incompatible with Christianity, true Christianity. The church at Laodicea, they were guilty of functioning as if they didn't need Jesus Christ. Self-sufficient. When you serve in the ministry that you serve in, no matter what it is that you're doing or I'm doing? Do we pause and say, I can't do this without you, Lord? Or can we actually go through a Sunday, a Lord's Day, and do everything and not even know, like was the Lord even in any of that? Or did I just know what I was doing and I've done this so many times and I just do this? That's the church at Laodicea and they never paused to even give the evaluation. Hey, where's Jesus in all of this? And so the Lord shows up. This is the final letter to this church and through this letter, he has a very strong rebuke to this church, a strong rebuke reserved for this group that was gathered in Laodicea. Now some of us have weak stomachs, right? Maybe it's a sight of something for me. I, Ginger tells me repeatedly, you could not make it in the hospital. I'd be passed out. I'd just be seeing, you know, something, and I'd just be, I would be no good. I would be another another bed needed for this guy. He's on the ground, okay? So sights sometimes make us nauseated. Sometimes it smells, like, whoa, that smell, Sometimes it sounds, people can make certain sounds and other people begin to gag, you know, there's a reflex and like, don't, 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 don't stop that, you know, parenting, children, all that comes with that, the joys and the bliss and the blessings, and it can be nauseating <laughs> at times. Oh, I love you so much, but excuse me, oh, here, hand off. Now imagine someone that you love dearly telling you to your face or in a letter, you make me sick. You make me sick. Now some are in this room and you're parents or you might be a spouse or you might be a grandparent And you have young people and you watch. You have children or grandchildren or people, maybe even siblings, and you love them dearly. And you pray for them, but they're not praying. You stay up at night for their soul, but they don't stay up at night for their soul. They stay up at night wasting their lives. They give no thought to it. You are sickened as you see them making decisions, poor decisions in their life, and it sickens you, but they aren't sickened by it. They're enjoying the passing pleasure of sin as if there's no eternity, as if there's no future coming. They do whatever they want to do, they're not sickened by it. They love their sin, they love themselves, self sufficient. Jesus is writing to this church through John the Apostle, and he is giving them one of the greatest sounding alarms that could be given. 2,000 years ago, this is what they heard as they had listened to all other six letters being read, and now it comes to their church. Revelation 3.14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, read it with me. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. This letter is given... To the people and to the pastor there of Laodicea, the map will come on the screen in a a moment. Here's the seventh church, all right? We've gone around this loop. Now we're down to Laodicea, and you can see the east to west route that it would have ended up at the sea in Ephesus, and Ephesus was much wealthier than Laodicea. But Laodicea was right there in the thoroughfare. Everything went through Laodicea that was east to west in traffic. It was a wealthy community. It's about 60 miles southeast of Philadelphia. It's located in the Lycus Valley, along with uh, Hierapolis and Colossae. Colossae is a, a little to the east. You're familiar with the letter Paul wrote to the Colossians. All right? so similar there. Laodicea was on that east-to-west route, and you'll see on that east-to-west route, there will be a picture of the cardo that will come up on the screen, and this is before they began doing the work of excavation. All right, so here we are, this is, this is I-94, okay, I-94 between Chicago and Port Huron, only it's Ephesus and, and Colossae and on to the east, there it is. They've done work on it, they've done excavation, extensive excavation, next picture will come up and you'll see how it looks quite different. Now I'm not sure, it kind of looks a little bit like Michigan Road still, I think they could do a, maybe they need a, a better governor over there to fix their roads, I don't know. Um, But, you know, there they are. There's the roads. It's all beginning to be repaired. They're fixing it. And you can see how wide this thoroughfare was, how the city center and all of the transactions that would have happened along that way before they came with exits and rest areas, okay? That's all predating all of that. It was founded in the 3rd century B.C. by the Seleucids. It was named after the wife of Attalus II. Her name was Laodice. Now, They've done a lot of reconstructing. You can see even behind that curtain, there's a protection of a wall that's just got all this immense tile work on the on the wall. Like it's just there, just because it's just making a city beautiful, is what they were doing there in this area. There's a um, alongside of this is a temple. And a lot of these temples, when Constantine became emperor, and it went from Christianity, went from a persecuted religion to a permitted religion. And then under Constantine, it went to the preferred religion. Okay, It went from persecuted to permitted to preferred. And so in his reign, a lot of the temples that were pagan temples, they converted into churches, and this may have been one of them. But this is what it looks like now. And so you can see the idea of there was wealth there. There was substance there. This doesn't look like our church on the corner of Forest and Friday right now. And we don't really have in the budget to build something that would look like that finished product on the corner of 30 and Forest. This is an immense building and work because there's wealth. There's wealth everywhere in this community. So again, this letter is written to the pastor of the church. And so he would be paying attention. The people would hear it. <laughs> How are we doing? What's our assessment from the Lord? And this is the called out ones there in Laodicea. There's evidence there in Laodicea. And we, we said it last week in the, in the letter that the Lord gave to Philadelphia. I'll write your name on a pillar. There's a pillar that they have found there in, in uh, archaeological work. And you could see on the pillar... There's the menorah, all right, the the candlestick, Jewish, all right, candlestick. And then you see over the cross, over the menorah, you see a cross. There's a presence in this community of Jewish presence and a Christian presence, which would be Jews and Gentiles that come to faith in Christ. And we can't really make sense of, is this coexisting together? Is this someone put the cross over the top to say Christianity has uh, come out of judaism or it is better than it we we can't make that that's just somebody etched it on a pillar and there it is and it's still there and the lord is saying i'll etch your name last week to the church of philadelphia i'll etch your name on a pillar in the temple of my god and it's never going to fall down and it'll never be excavated somewhere in an archaeological dig it's in a permanent dwelling where my father is and where you will be with me laodicea was famous for three main economic generators of wealth. They were known for their banking. The Wall Street was wealthy. They were not lacking. When you have wealth, then you need to find ways to spend your wealth. And if you're poor, there's a lot of things that you can't do. Another site, possibly of a temple, that became a church. But they also had theaters, a lot of them. There's small theaters. There's large theaters. When you have money, Entertainment becomes king. I have money. Where do I want to go? What do I want to do? If you put your kids in sports, you're going to pay for it. There's a lot of cost to it. This whole area, there's a theater over here. We need another theater because while that's going on, we need some more events going on over here, and we got some other events going, Coliseum, all kinds of stuff going on in and around Laodicea they were they were wealthy and so when you're wealthy you just have more money to put at things that when it comes to push to shove and you're trying to feed your family it doesn't really matter who wins in the scene it doesn't really, really matter how you can sing when you're trying to feed your family how, how well you can act that's wonderful but if I'm trying to feed my family I don't really care who won the Oscar I don't know I'm starving and if I don't get a meal I'm gonna die your Oscar is like can we sell that and get some food for that that's where it becomes that kind of value it just fades off into existence at night, Laodicea would close their city gates. Why? Shut it down. What do we have today? Gated communities. If you're wealthy enough, you live in a gated community, keep all the riffraff out. Only the people who are allowed in, here we are. We're nice and safe inside our work. That's Laodicea. I don't want anybody to get in here and take what is mine. It's all mine. You, you hear this. They had a gymnasium is what it looked like. Is what it looks like now. There's your YMCA right there. Now, I can enter that kind of gym like I'm here, but there's nothing to do, so I'll head on back out the door and go home again. I went to the gym today. There it is. That's my gym. Just lift up rocks. Move that rock over to the other side. You know, why? I just, I don't know, do it. The city was destroyed, as many of these cities we've been looking at, by an earthquake, AD 20. And they received imperial help to come through and rebuild it all back together. And then another earthquake happened. In... AD 23, there was Smyrna and Ephesus and... Also here at Laodicea, they were all contending to build a temple for the emperor, and Smyrna won the bid. Kind of the way people compete, cities compete for the Olympics or the Super Bowl. They were competing for the who's going to win. So when the next earthquake happened, the people of Laodicea didn't want to come off like a burden to the emperor, and so they refused help. They refused FEMA funds, all right, from the emperor. They said, No, no, we'll rebuild. We're wealthy enough. We don't need your help. We'll rebuild on our own we want you to look on us as a blessing and not a burden to the empire and so they rebuilt on their own self-sufficient the city was known for medicine by the way that's a a baptism tank was right there that that was where they would baptize people and um, in that last picture it it doesn't look like it would hold much water now uh, but there it is all right the the baptismal that's where they're not immersing, or they're not sprinkling or pouring. You're getting in there. There's enough water to put a human being in and dip and put under the water and then bring back out. Now, the city was known for medicine. About 13 miles away, there was a temple, and it was uh, known for medicinal you know, purposes. Travelers would come. They would seek help. They would pay for treatment. So when you have a medical community, there's funds that come in with that. Doctors? Doctors? All those health prosi- uh, pr- professionals there's wealth that abounds in that so you've got all of these different things that are happening this valley is super super fertile all right so there's all kinds of farming ranching sheep shepherds all of this going on in this community is all there and in, so there's wealth upon wealth upon wealth they were known for producing clothing but specifically in this area they had black wool and so it was very much coveted not just normal white wool, but they had black wool, and they were famous for it, and people would pay for it. Are you you keeping track of all this? Because when we come back into the letter that Jesus gives to the church, he's ticking off. He's saying all of these things that they're like, we have black wool, and we have medicine. It was specifically treated for eyes, ointment for eyes, and we have wealth, and we have this, and we're self-sufficient, But Laodicea was infamous for one main problem. With all that they had going on, they didn't have good water. So, what do you have if you don't have good water? If you are in the high rise of any tower in any city, the top, and you just don't have water, how's your high rise doing? You are trapped. And if you can't get water in and out of there, that becomes your prison. It's a death sentence. All their wealth. So up the road, Hierapolis, they had water. If you go back to that one screen just for a moment on this one, they had water. It was higher up and so uh, desirable. They had the hot springs up in Hierapolis, They would go there, and they still go there. I Google Earthed it this week. There's pools and pools and pools everywhere, right? There's one of them, and people still go there. It's like a resort town, and there's people right there in the water, and under that water, you see, it used to be ancient. It's been around for a while. People are still going there because of the therapeutic baths, the the hot baths that are there, the water is clean. Laodicea didn't have that. They didn't have the cool rivers down in Colossae, clean water, pure water. They didn't have it. So they began to go to a construction project, and it's the, I think the next person uh, picture will come up. This is where they put in, a, you know what we need to do? We have money. Let's get the water here. And so they put in an aqueduct. They put in water pipes. Let's bring it from Hierapolis. But now here's a problem. By the time, and we can leave it right on the screen for a moment, okay? By the time they got the hot, hot, hot water from up in Hierapolis down to Laodicea, what temperature do you think it was? Lukewarm. By the time they got the water from Colossae that was cold and great and wonderful all the way up to Laodicea, what temperature do you think it was? Lukewarm, tepid. (laughs) And here's another fact. That when people would come to the town and do all the things and visitors would come, do you know what they would comment on? The water. Because you know what would happen if their stomach wasn't used to it, trained for it? Same thing when I was in India. Don't drink the water. Our stomachs can handle it, Isaac said. Yours can't. We don't want you to get sick. Sick, We have too much to do. That's all about Laodicea. People would drink the water of Laodicea and guess what they would do? The unmentionable vomit. It's <laughs> oh, oh, oh. water. This water is horrible. It's making me sick. Excuse me, I'll be right back. Now, are you hearing the letter that we just read? And how pertinent it is to this church in Laodicea? All the things that they prided themselves in? And Jesus says, You're neither cold nor hot. So I want to spit you out of my mouth. All their money, all their wealth, all that glory, and they couldn't solve their water problem. Hmm. So Jesus confronts his church. And here's the description that we receive that Jesus, and he comes in all of these letters. He's the word, the words, the words, the words, the words of the amen, he says. The words of the amen. What is amen? So be it. We agree with that. Let it be. Amen is generally a human verbal response to God. It's an acclamation and an agreement to the sovereignty of God. That's why we finish a prayer in all God's people and we say, amen. And I say, this was the word of the Lord. And people respond with, that's what it is. Amen. Let me give a response that is fitting to what I just heard. Amen. So be it. Because whatever God has said is absolutely true. So the child of God and the church heartily proclaims, amen. That's true. That's right. But this wasn't true of the Laodicean church. Here Jesus uses this title, amen, and it becomes not a response, but it becomes a, a title where Jesus is God's yes and amen that the Laodicean church isn't saying amen to God. So Jesus stands in and says, I'm the amen. It's me. What you're doing is a lie and is false, but I'm the one who is true. 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul writes to the church, and he said, for all the promises of God find their yes in him in Christ. That is why through him, it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Everything that the Lord has promised, it comes true, and Jesus brings it about. That stands in a stark contrast to the Laodicean church. Jesus is the amen. He's the faithful and true witness that the testimony of Jesus is faithful and true. It's trustworthy, faithful, faithful. The Old Testament required at least you have to have two witnesses. You cannot bring an accusation against someone one-to-one and you can try, convict, and condemn them. There has to be at least two witnesses. So Jesus says, I'm the faithful and true witness. Jesus is God in flesh, and he's bringing an accusation against the Laodicean church, and it's a faithful, it's a trustworthy accusation. Whatever the word of God says, loved ones, it is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. If if everybody says God is wrong, everybody's wrong. God alone is true. 2 Timothy 3, 16, Paul writes, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is for the people of God to be complete, equipped for every good work. We hear it and we say, Lord, make that true in my life. That is true. Now, reconcile me to truth. We don't say, well, let me, let me see about the Bible here. And I believe this. Now, I'm going to find how the Bible can support what I hold to. No. I need to adjust. That's like me going to the bank saying, look, look at my checkbook. Right here. Half a million in this account. Half a million in here. i are be like, Security? I don't know about this guy. I know he, something's wrong, something's wrong. It's true, it's sincere, it's correct. It's impossible for God to lie. His word is pure, the whole longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, all about the word of God. And then we see that Jesus is the ruler of God's creation. He says the beginning, he's the beginning. Now, We're going to talk about this a little bit. The word there is arche. It's also the originator. Okay, so he's the ruler. That's what's in this title. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And that corrects all heresy that would come at Jesus and say, he's just a created being. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, on down the line. Oh, he's just created being. He's a a great creation of the, no, 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 no. No, no, he's the RK He is the ruler of God's creation. The apostle John, he wrote a gospel in three letters and the book of Revelation to build up the identity to the church of who Jesus is. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, read it with me, was God. Who's the word? It's Jesus, okay? He's God. He was in the beginning with God, All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. He is the originator of all things. He's the word made flesh. And so like Luther said, he sunk himself into our flesh. He added to his deity humanity and he hasn't left that off. He still bears the marks of his crucifixion in his body. He's the God man. The Apostle Paul, he he wrote to that church just down the road from Laodicea. He wrote to the Colossians 1.15 about the identity of who Jesus is as he was pushing back against false teaching that was making its way into the church to try to reduce Jesus to a a good prophet, an influential teacher, um, you know, these morals to live by. Wonderful, wonderful, but Lord, God, King? Oh, no, no. So Paul writes, Colossians 1.15, He, Christ, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 1.17, and He, Christ Jesus, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. There's that word again, arche. The firstborn. Prototokos is the word. He is the preeminent one born. There's been no one born like him. He is the answer to Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Here he is, the prototokos. He is the originator. He is the ruler of all things. And Paul is writing, he is the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. He wasn't the first one to rise from the dead. He was the first of all to rise from the dead. So it's important that we understand as we read our Bibles, what is God saying? He's the ruler of God's creation. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the ruler of the kings on earth. We saw this already in chapter one. But here the ruler of all kings on earth, Can't get in his own church that's a problem and he's calling them on it revelation 1 5 this is from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler there's that word again rk of kings on earth and he can't get in his own church Now, isn't it easy for us to sit here and say, what in the world was wrong with those Laodiceans? What's the matter with them? Who wouldn't let Jesus in? You know, we heard about that guy that owned the inn and he didn't have any room for Jesus. Shame on him. What a fool. Uh, Anyway, I got this to do and that to do and I'm not going to be available to serve the Lord for the next, you know, foreseeable future. But uh, boy, those, you know, Herod, he just really missed it, didn't he? says the world as they just live on as if there is no eternity. You see this problem, the Laodicean problem can be all of our problems. We've all rejected God as king. We all began life saying I'm king. I want to do what I want to do. I want the bigger piece of cake. I want to go first in line. I want what I want and if you don't give me what I want then I'll throw down like a king Ah, it's called temper tantrum I am king bow to me mom dad anybody and his parents lovingly tenderly we have to be stand in for the invisible God say you're not king You want to be king, but you're not king. And by the way, I'm not king either. Because anybody that's under my kingship, they're usually damaged. Under King Jesus' kingship, that's where we thrive. That's where life is, everlasting life. And that's the solution that God gave. I'll give you a king. And then there's two ways to live you either bow to this king, King Jesus, and he was punished in your place, or you live your life as if you're king, and all of the weight of your sin for your entire life, you will be crushed under that in the judgment. Because you didn't bow to God's King. You hear in this message and invitation that if you haven't ever bowed your life to King Jesus, when should you do that? Now. Right now. So we move into the message. that's a lot of introduction, isn't it? Well, the message gets right to the point. And I'm sure the Laodicean was like, okay, you know, boy, that was pretty tough right there. But now, anyway, about the praise. We've been used to hearing the Lord give praise. And that whole Philadelphia church, all they got was praise and promises from the Lord. So bring it on, Jesus. Well, fill in your blank right there. And, oh, no praise from Jesus. That's it. No, none. Nope, 15 just moves on. I know your works. And whenever Jesus makes an assessment, it's always accurate and spot on, so he gets right to the problem. Here we have a church that without Jesus, all right, this is the problem. If there's no Christ in the church, how do you call it Christ church? If Jesus isn't welcome there, this is... This is the problem, according to Jesus. I know your works. This church was useless to the mission, we see in verses 15 and 16. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're neither cold or or hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You're useless. So maybe you grew up in the church and you heard messages and tried to figure out So am I supposed to be hot or am I supposed to be cold? And how do I be cold for Jesus? I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. I understand being hot for the Lord, you know, on fire for the Lord. That's me. But Jesus says be hot or cold. I wish you were hot or cold. The Laodiceans, they got the message loud and clear. Like, I don't understand what he's, you know, talking about. Hey, here's a cup of water. Where'd you get it? Oh, from outside? No, that's all right, I'll pass. I brought this up from Colossae. Oh, please, I'll take a drink. Jesus is just straightforward. They hit him so close to home. They understood perfectly what he said. If a church is not on mission, then they are useless to the master and they're useless on the mission field. That church needs to recognize immediately their own arrogance and then humbly, listen now, church, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so it comes down corporately, but it also comes down to us individually. Am I seeking first the kingdom of God or am I seeking my kingdom? Any church that is overly inwardly focused gets off mission. It's a Laodicean church, self sufficient well, we do this and we've got this in the bank and we've done that and we've been here for this many years and we've sent and we've done. I'm sorry, that sounded like it was all past tense and all current what you have from past. Where are you going? What are you doing to bring the gospel to the nations right now? Are we on mission or do we just sit back, have coffee and talk about the mission from yesteryear? Primarily we need an upward focus. And if we have a church, if we have an upward focus, you know what this handles? All the conflict. I can't have an upward focus and get bent out of shape with you for any real reason. Love covers a multitude of sins. If we have an upward focus, do you know what immediately then comes into focus? It's the people all around us. You know what is out of focus? This guy, what I want, what I think, what I feel. The Lord knows all that, and I can bring all that to him, but I can be on mission and not just living until he returns or I die. You're here, I'm here, are we on mission? Are we just existing? This church, they lost the plot. What's our pathway, our discipleship pathway? We exist to glorify God. If we glorify God, then what are we going to be doing? We reach people for Jesus Christ. We reach people for Jesus Christ. They come to faith. We want to connect them with other believers. We want to see them make a public profession of faith through the waters of baptism and say, I belong to Jesus. He redeemed me. Then we join in membership. We're part of the same body. We're identified. We we know who belongs here. We move into that. We are covenant together. We're in relationship together. We belong together. We're family together. No, really We're not just living together. We're family together. We've joined together and we'll grow in life together so that we're equipped as we hear the word of God, we're equipped to grow in our faith and when we grow in our faith, what inevitably is the outcome of that? We don't sit around and wait for people to serve us. Well, you know, they could have done better serving me today. Oh, you know, I noticed they didn't serve very well. We serve. We put our hand to the work and say, Lord, if anything good happens from my hand being in the work, it's you. Any mess? That was me. I did that. That was me. I I tried. But when the Lord accomplishes it, it's a good work. And where does all the glory go? To the Lord. To our Father in heaven. This church was, they were useless. They were foolish. They were foolish because of their self-deception. Jesus said to them, Oh, you say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I don't need anything. They would would absolutely be offended if you said, Hey, it's Christmas time. You need any help in the family? Are you guys. Me need help? Do you need help? I got plenty. That's Jesus. You ever get offended when somebody tries to help you and then you try to micromanage how they help you? I'm sorry, I I thought you needed help. This church is foolish. They're making a hash of it. They're making a mess of it. And Jesus can't get in his own church. There they were, comfortable, complacent, extremely self-satisfied. I'm sure they, they carved out the song, I surrender some. I surrender a little less than some. You know, Take my life and let me be it's all about me (laughs) oh we can go for days on this but we'll move on (laughs) psalm 53 1 the fool says in his heart there's no god okay now immediately we hear that and that's right pastor amen that's right the fool the fools the fools in their heart the church in laodicea can't see that's them if we are careful and we seek the face of the Lord enough, we might actually see ways that you and I are being foolish in not seeking the Lord and busy in our own minds and our own schedules and our own time and just filling it with noise. And the Lord can't even break through because you have something going all the time. And there's no room for even him to speak to you in a still, small voice. Not now, not now, not now. I'm busy. I got to go. I'm busy. I'm doing. They're corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There's none who does good. And what about when that's the church that bears your name? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this church was helpless. They were helpless. If intervention didn't come for them, they weren't getting out of this. They were not getting out of this spot on their own. They're helpless without intervention. Jesus says to them, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This church was here as wealthy by the world standards, but by Jesus' standards, by divine standards, they were spiritually bankrupt. He goes through these words, and this is opposite of what he said about the church in Smyrna. He said, you, you don't have anything. You are poor. Poor. Hokas is that word. You have nothing. You are beggars, but I say to you, you're rich. Now, it's the other side of the story for this church. You say you're rich, but I'm telling you, you are wretched. Here's Here's your resume, church. Please come visit the church that is wretched. Okay, They thought they were wonderful. Jesus says, actually, that's the word of being devastated. When a tornado goes through a town, that's the word wretched. Destroyed. Hurricane. Level. Earthquake, you are wretched. You've been leveled. You're destroyed. You are pitiable. They believe themselves to be honorable and highly esteemed, but Jesus said, when I see you, it's an, you are an object of pity. Tell that to a wealthy person, an extremely wealthy person. They don't want to be pitied. Don't you pity me. Jesus is pitying them. You're poor, There's that word again. It's not just short on some funds. It's you have nothing to survive like the widow woman. Tokos. Bankrupt. Destitute. Entirely dependent on others for everything. He's calling them a beggar. You are the first church of beggars in Laodicea. You're blind. You pride yourselves in producing this eye salve in your community and you make wealth off of it. I'm telling you, you are blind. It's Fergian eye powder. They were helping everybody else see and they couldn't see themselves and he said, you're naked. You boast about all this wool and making garments. I'm telling you, you you're embarrassingly naked. You have nothing. You are, you are naked. That's their that's the resume. I mean, we didn't think to put that on our church card. Hey, you know, come visit the first wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked church. Come on. Come one, come all. Like, I'm not going to that place. That's what Jesus is saying to them. Don't you think their, their mouths would have been stopped in this church? I mean, how many of, how many of the people, when they're hearing this letter in, read in the church, be, <gasps> What was it like in that congregation to hear, this is you, this is my assessment of you? I'm sure it stung. That's what the word of God does to us at times. It stings us. And, And then I say, well, if that's what he would say to them, what would he say to me? What would he say to us? What would he say to you? Let's sit down. Let's have a meeting. Let's look at your time this last week. Let, let, let's evaluate that. Let's have a one on one with Jesus. Let, let's, let's look at your giving. Let's look at your, your resources. Let's look at your time that you spend. Let's look at all that you've, your, your health, your wealth, your time, your resources that I've given to you. How, where do I factor into that? This is what he says to them. How we respond to this the Lord gives him a prescription. In verses 18 and 19, it's a loving command to repent. And he says, I, I have some counsel for you. You ever met with somebody, financial advisor, somebody with health, with physical therapy, whatever, and they were just maybe good at what they had, had to do and they said, okay, so you're really not doing well in what you're trying to do. I hear what you have for goals, but you're never going to get there. What? It's my wife. No, it's my husband. It's them. It's them. Jesus says, I have counsel for you. I have words for you. These are life giving words if you will let them in. He says, I counsel you. Buy from me gold. This is where you'll get true riches. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Wait a second. How am I going to buy something from Jesus? What does it cost to acquire this? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. He's not interested in your debit card, your credit card. He's not interested in the cash you have. He wants your heart. And if he has our heart, everything else comes with it. Family, future, career, everything else it's yours, Lord. It's all yours," he said. "That's where true riches are." Luke nine twenty five. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Ah, oh, we're wealthy. We can see really well. Look at our garments. Look at our clothes. Designer clothes. Look at all my trophies in the shelf. One over in that theater over there. Gains the whole world and loses or forfeits is What have you gained? Jesus said that about the rich man who said, I've got all these barns. They're not big enough. They're not nice enough. I'm going to tear them all down tonight. You know, he said that in one night. and I'm going to build new barns, bigger barns. And the Lord said, you fool. Tonight is the night and you're going to die. And Who's going to get the barns that you didn't have time to tear down? True riches for me. And Jesus says you need to come to me for divine righteousness. You've been trying and you're doing these religious things and you know, gathering for church and faithful and busy and I can't get in my own church. And I have white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. You got to cover up. I mean, this is what Jesus is saying like come on, come on, come on. You know, like come on in. No, no, no. no. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. Put some more clothes on. Put some more clothes on. Not coming in. We're fine. But they are forgotten what the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah 64, 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all, all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And they were saying, That's not us. We're fine. I do this. I do that. I do the other. I'm fine. And so then Jesus says, You need for me the real remedy. This is what you need. You need true riches for me. You need divine righteousness for me. And you need the real remedy And he says, I'll have salve for you to anoint your eyes so that you may see. What's he saying we can't see? He's saying you can't see. You're spiritually blind. This is where John Newton came and he wrote the song, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Oh, the Lord healed him, he was blind? No, he was spiritually blind. He transported human beings as if they were cargo until he met Jesus. And then that opened his eyes to see the depravity of his own sin. And then he realized how gracious the Lord is. What a great Savior he is. So he brings what we all need to this church, the necessary rebuke. And this rebuke opens the door. The rebuke is what will lead to repentance if the church will hear what Jesus is saying to them. And so he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So he says, be zealous and repent. Divine loved, it gets practical for our development. This is loving reproof. Because Jesus is bringing this word, it is absolutely loving, it is true, and it is necessary. And he's bringing it in the best way it can possibly The response of this church, it should have been to say, you're right, Lord, we're wrong. He brings this loving discipline to them. Discipline is this training for these children that claimed they were children of God. But it goes all the way back to Old Testament, Proverbs 3.11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Do any of us at times when we know the Lord is trying to get our attention and we start to get mad at God, where is God? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? And if God was good, then why this and why that? My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. If the Lord is saying to you and to me, hey, 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 you're living for you and your kingdom is expiring soon. Trade it all in for a kingdom without end. Then he's saying exactly what we need to hear and it's most loving. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent, diligent to discipline him. There is the, the rod is given to the government, sword, to the home, to the family, and to the church, discipline. Those three institutions, they do not, there are people engaged in those, but they don't overlap. The realm of authority is given by God in each of those institutions. So the government can't come into the church and say, here's what you're gonna do, here's when you're gonna meet, here's when you're not gonna, no, 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 no. We will obey God. The church doesn't step into the home and say, here's what you're going to do with your children, and here's what you're going to do with... No, 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 no. You, moms and dads, are responsible for your children before God. Same thing with the families. Hebrews 12 gets very specific. This, this message to the Hebrews grounded in what we just read in the Old Testament, Hebrews 12, 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be be weary when reproved by him. Just read that, Proverbs 3.11. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And this is almost like a no-brainer here. In the first century, this would have been unthinkable that a father would have not disciplined his son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And the answer in the first century was, yeah, every father disciplines their son, their child. That's that's what you do. Welcome to 2023. I'll just pass that off to schools, to government. Somebody, somebody, take care of my kids. If you are left without discipline, so here's the thing. Um, In verse 8, if somebody says, the Lord doesn't ever discipline me, my life is fine. I do whatever I want to do. It's all going fine. Then listen to this verse. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, all children of God are involved in him working out his will in our lives, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If God is not at work convicting you of sin, convincing you of what is true and what is right, and making you more like Jesus day by day, moment by moment, and grieving. We're grieving over sin. I want to please the Lord. Then he says, you better do an evaluation. And the Laodicean church, they were getting that kind of evaluation. It's personal. In the dis- Jesus says, you need to get zealous. You need to not say, well, maybe Next week. You need to have zeal. You need to have some fire. You need to set your heart on this. What are you zealous about, loved ones? He says you need to be zealous about one thing, repent. You need to have a metanoia, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life, a change of attitude, a change of direction. Everything about you needs to change right now. He's calling them to, again, wake up. This is love. Then he has promises. He personally commits to anyone listening. Anybody listening in Laodicea? Anybody in there? Anybody home? Get honest. Get humble before the Lord. First promise he gives in verse 20. He says, here's what will happen. For those, basically it's a carbon copy, CC, all right? An email, you send it to the person. And who do I want also to receive a copy of this email? This letter was given to Laodicea, but you are in the CC line, our church is in the CC line. It wasn't to us, but you need to know this. It's for you. Every generation that would follow, promise number one, I will come in fellowship with you. That's what he's promising. You want to have me? I'm outside the door right now, but the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is Fellowship. In Matthew 11, Jesus said it in a different way, and this is the invitation that would have gone to anyone listening inside of that church. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because he's he's the heavy lifter. He's the heavy lifter he's carrying the Lord. And the biggest load that he carried for you and me is our sin. And he took that to the cross. He've come, he, how does he take enemies and make us friends, and not just friends, but children, joint heirs? Right here, come. If you open that door, I'll come in. You'll have fellowship with me. And not just that, but you will reign with me. That's his second promise. You will reign with me. The one who conquers, you'll sit with me on my throne as I sit with my father on his throne. This is love. This is an invitation. This is a, let's trade in this this brief momentary transitionary life like a flower, like a cloud, like a breath on a cold day. And let's get permanent, eternally permanent. And where is it found? In Jesus. So then the conclusion comes. Anybody have ears to hear? Do you hear what the Spirit is saying? Do you have ears? Does this change you? Or is it just the next thing on your mind? Like, what's the next thing? What time? Where are we going? What's next? Then you don't have ears to hear. And that should be enough to say, oh, Lord, I need to repent. When it comes to my life, you're outside. You are not king. You're not reigning. Listen. You see in those water pipes what began to happen? That's what happened here. If you live in Richmond, we have calcium. We've got these deposits in the water, and over time, they 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 close up and they shut down like an artery. Suddenly, the blood's not flowing like it's supposed to. Things start happening negatively in your body when your arteries start closing up. That's what happened to their water pipes, and so there they are, sitting out there on the hill. Tried, failed. We need water. So let me ask you this morning. Kind of dial in on this. Does Jesus have full access to your heart, to your life, to your future, to your schedule, to your dreams, your desires? Does he have full access or does he have, stay in the waiting room and when I have time, I'll come out maybe and get you. You ever been in the waiting room? Isn't that horrible? They keep calling everybody else's name and you're still sitting there, still sitting there, and then they close? Then you call, you get the automated line. Oh, we all went home, sorry. And this is Jesus that spoke all creation into existence, and he's just out, out in the waiting room. No time. No time for you. We're just too busy. So how can our lives, after we hear this message, how can our lives be adjusted so that our lives to whatever God says clearly revealed in his word and his son, our lives say amen. So be it. That's what this church needed here. That's right, Jesus. You're right and we're wrong. You are the provider. You are sovereign and we need you. That's what had to happen in that town. What needs to happen in your heart? What needs to happen in my heart? When do we come to the point of Take me, take me, all of me. Maybe that's today. Let's stand together. Oh Father, there are just so many ways that I see this church and I, here in Laodicea as we read this final letter There's so many warnings here. There's so many cautions. There's so many areas that my heart can be prone to wander. That we as a church can become so myopic, so self-concerned, and we can easily, at any generation, forget that there is a world to be reached through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, will we take this message that was written to that church there in Laodicea And by your Spirit, will you apply that to our hearts, our lives today? Help us to respond, Lord, in a submitted, humble, zealous I repent. Here I am. And I will trust in you, not just with what I say or sing, but with my life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord. thee. In Jesus' good and powerful name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.